would ask you to be turning to Ephesians, the sixth chapter. We're going to be looking at some verses there in a moment. For the last almost 18 years in this nation, we have seen in real time preparation for war, for military conflict, as well as war itself. We've seen it in the Middle East. We have seen it on our streets in our nation. And we have watched it on television until we almost have battle fatigue. We see it in real time, but we see it in a sanitized version. And it's easy in the smugness of our thinking to say to ourselves, I'm glad I'm not in a battle. But oh, my friend, you are. You are. And the tragedy is most of us are not aware of it. We do not know it. We act as if we are not in a war of any type. But I want to tell you, your enemy, he knows he's in a war. There's no doubt about it in his mind. I heard this story about a man who went to a formal dinner. He was an older man, but he was very straight as an arrow in his back, had a silver shine to his hair, extremely nice-looking man. And while he was at this particular formal dinner, he noticed that there was a lady who kept staring at him. And everywhere he would go, when he would look back from talking to somebody, she was just staring at him. And he was aware of that. They sat down to a scrumptious meal, and after the meal was over with, people began to socialize and move around. And as he would talk to somebody, and he would turn around, she still was staring at him. And finally, he couldn't understand all of that, and out of curiosity, he went over to her, and he said, Madam... I've noticed through our mingling and through the meal that every time I looked at you, you were staring at me. Is there something wrong? And she quickly apologized, but went on to say, Sir, you look just like my third husband. And he looked at her and he said, Well, how many husbands have you had? And she said, Two. Now... What I'm trying to tell you is, she had her eye on him. Your enemy has his eye on you. You need to know that. And so we're going to look at this from God's Word tonight. I want you to know, or this morning, I want you to know what he has to say to us about this. It's interesting, Barner, who does a lot of religious surveys says that among evangelicals, 48% do not believe in Satan. They believe that he's a mythical figure, or that he is a figure for evil, but he's not a real being. Now, I have trouble understanding that, because God's Word is full of warnings about our enemy. And so if you fit into that category this morning, my prayer is that God will change 
your mind, that you'll understand that we have an enemy. That we have real someone who wants to destroy us. A.W. Tozer, a great man of God from the past, at the close of his ministry said this. I want to read it to you. He said that in the early years when Christianity exercised a dominant influence over American thinking, men conceived the world as a battleground. Our fathers believed that sin and the devil and hell as constituting one force, and they believed in God and righteousness and heaven as the other. These were forever irreconcilable in deep, grave animosity towards each other. He went on to say, Man so owned by our fathers held that to choose sides he, would be, he could not be neutral. For him it must be life or death, heaven or hell. And if he chose to come out on God's side, he could expect open war with God's enemy. To fight would be real, deadly, and it would last until long, till long as life was uh, continuing and here on the earth below. But here's what he goes on to say. How different today. The fact remains the same, but the interpretation has changed completely. Men think of the world not as a battleground, but as a playground. We're not here to fight. We're here to frolic. He went on to say that we're not in a foreign land. We're at home, and we need to make ourselves at home. We're living already, and we need to get rid of all of our hang-ups and our inhibitions, and we need to live life at its fullest. That's the way we think about it today, how true that is. But in Job 2, verse 2, say on your outline, listen to it. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking back and forth on it. And that's the reason that I came up with this title, The Original Jet Setter. I want you to understand, he's everywhere. He is everywhere. You can't imagine a place that he is not at. And I want to tell you about Satan. Satan is not before some imaginary furnace shoveling coals on a fire. Satan is at the epicenter of the latest events that are happening in our world. You need to understand that. That's Satan. And he is out to destroy if he possibly can. So this morning, my desire is to motivate you and to motivate myself to realize how real our enemy is. Satan never had but one original thought, and it was sin. Everything else, he copies. He is an imitator. He is a deceiver. And he has something as a counterfeit for everything. His greatest ruse is to make you and I think he doesn't exist. That's the reason you see all these crazy caricatures, all these little jokes, all these innocent things about Satan, because Satan can hide in all of that if he believes that you and I think he's not a real a, 
person, a real entity that can destroy us. And so that's how he works, and that's what he wants to do. And he works at it real well. Let me tell you where Satan works seemingly the most. He works in a lot of places, but he works in religion, it seems like. He works in intellectualism. He works in the arts and in entertainment. He works in psychology and human understanding. He is in the middle of all these places, and he desires to make you and I think that he is not someone that will destroy you, but someone who will help you. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, the whole world lies in his lap. The whole world. Now you understand this, and I want you to see it from God's perspective as to what we're going to do. He is the latest on the latest cause as a jet setter. I want to ask you to stand. I'm going to read some verses that you've already turned to in Ephesians, the sixth chapter. And I want you to see what God's Word has to say. Beginning in verse 12. For we are not, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. I've underlined them. Five times that verse says somebody is against us. And if somebody is against us, we're against them. Five times it's there. Now look at verse 10, if you will. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. In the power of His might is the only way we're going to have victory over the enemy. So I want us to look at that as we look at God's Word. And my prayer is that He'll speak to us this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, my prayer this morning is that the church that I'm a part of and the church that stands before me this morning will separate from the enemy and Father will never separate from your power and your presence because that's our only chance of survival Father I pray that we will see that only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ can we have victory over the enemy and that his vicious attacks can only be thwarted as we put on the armor of God so this morning Father as Satan is exposed, the arch enemy, arch enemy of, of God and his children, may we be protected and may we understand the reality of our enemy. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. On your outline, and I hope you take notes because we're going to talk about some things today that you may not be aware of and I want you to know some truths about the devil and we're going to look at him. First of all, I want you to see the devil's personality. The devil's personality. Let me tell you that all of his personality is wrapped up in the fact that he is the arch enemy of God. He hates him. 
And when he cannot get to God, his next desire is to get to you and to me as children of God. And so everything about his personality hinges, is foundational on the fact that he hates God. I want you to listen to what Isaiah 14, verse 14 says. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds and I will make myself like the most high. I'll make myself like God. That's what Satan said a long time ago. His names tell us a lot about him. You listen to these names as I go through some of them. First of all, he's called a deceiver in Revelation 20. He's called a murderer in John 8. He's called a tempter in Matthew 4. He's called a destroyer in 1 Corinthians. He's called a polyon, which means to destroy in Revelation 9. He's called a serpent in Revelation 20. He's called a liar in John 8. He's called an accuser to the brethren in Revelation 12. He's called a prince in Ephesians. He's called... uh, uh, everything about Satan is tied up in these. He's called a light in the light in Second Chronicle, Second Corinthians. All these things that describe him, that are his names, tell us about his personality. And I want you to see those. Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel, the 28th chapter, tell us what Satan was like before he became Satan and the arch enemy of Christ. Believe it or not, he was in heaven. And there was a lot of things about him. Isaiah 14 verse 12 says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. O Lucifer, how you have fallen from heaven. Do you know what the word Lucifer means? The word Lucifer in this particular place means one who is the son of the, the light, the son of the, the stars, the son of all the light, the morning shining sun. He was called that. And he was a cherub, an anointed cherub. Did you hear that? Do you know what that means? Anointed means that God set him aside. And not only was he an anointed, but he was a cherub. Do you know what a cherub is? Now, cherubs, not those little old things flying around crossing uh, ribbons on each other that you see in weddings. That's not a cherub. Let me tell you what a cherub is. A cherub has the texture and the look and the knowledge of a human being. They're half human beings but they also have animal-like characteristics. Cunning, stealth, strong. That's what he was. He was a cherub. And God had anointed him, had called him to that particular place of service. And that's what he was. He was a supernatural being with all that goes with that. Ezekiel tells us that Satan who was a person, or when, when all this happened, he had the qualifications of a person, and he had position, and he had power. Listen to Ezekiel 28, verse 12. 
You were full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. He was gifted with unbelievable wisdom. You ever known anybody who had that kind of knowledge and wisdom? I know some people who think they have, but you ever know anybody for sure? Let me tell you something else. Not only when it says he was gifted with wisdom, extreme wisdom, it means not only did he have the knowledge, he knew how to use that knowledge. Let me tell you something else that we just read about him. Not only did he have all that knowledge, but he had unbelievable beauty. Satan had unbelievable beauty. He would be, you, he would be someone you would be attracted to. He is so gifted with all of that. That's the man that we're talking about. That one called Satan. The Bible tells us that he then rose up against God. And when pride came in, self-exaltation came in. Ezekiel 28 verse 17 says, Your heart became proud. Your heart became proud. And out of that pride came rebellion. Let me just tell you something. The next time you get proud, you stop and think where that comes from. That comes from straight out of hell. That's who he is. And when this man Lucifer, this man animal-like Lucifer, this angelic being, when he thought of rebellion, sin was birthed into existence. That's where it all began. Isaiah 14 tells us that. You have fallen from heaven, and when he did that, all that pride had produced in him became like venom in his life. Now, I don't understand and don't, don't pretend to understand all the theology, theology and theological backings of this, but let me tell you something that I know. Satan, when he left, he took a third of the angels with him, Revelation tells us. And what that means today is the angels that still serve God were given the freedom to go or to stay. But they chose to follow God as these chose to follow Satan. They were given a free will just like you and I have been given a free will. And those that went with Satan chose to disobey. That's his personality. Let's look at his position for just a moment. Satan's position. I want you to see the devil's position. Write that in. Three things that I want you to see. First of all, he is a prince. He's a prince. That's what he is. That word prince, we know what that means. The word prince means that there is one who is eminent, he's first, he's in charge, he's chief, he's very eminent. That's the title that he took. He is a prince. The Bible calls him a prince. Here's what God's Word says, John 14, 30. I will not speak with you much longer. This is Christ. For the prince of this world is coming. He's a prince. He's called the prince of power, He's called the prince of the power of the air. He's called prince of evil spirits. He's a prince. But let me give you a second thing about his position. He's a ruler. He is a ruler. Look at this. Against the rulers of the darkness of this age, Ephesians 6, 12, we read a moment ago. 
He's a ruler. The Bible says that he has a whole army beneath him. He has people that are part of his army to destroy. If you look at the world today and you see greed and you see vice and you see lying and you see lust for power and you see war and rumors of war, you need to understand that Satan is behind all of that. He is the ruler of that. You can blame it on anybody you want to or any regime or any president that you want to, but he is the ruler behind it all. That's what God's Word tells us. And Matthew tells us he has his own angels to carry out what needs to be done, what he wants to be done. Matthew 12, 26 says that he has his own kingdom. Now remember, he mimics everything. So as a ruler, he has a whole kingdom underneath him. That's who he is. Not only is he a prince and not only is he a ruler, but the Bible says he's a god. He's a god. Now, you just think about that for a moment. God's Word tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, whose minds, talking about, whose minds, whose mind of the God of this age has blinded. He's blinded the minds of people. He has the ability to do that. He's a great imitator in all that he does. He imitates everything. He imitates all that he can as far as what God has done. Let me share some things with you. Since Jesus Christ established a relationship that he calls Christianity, Satan has his own religion. He has it all organized. He has it just like he wants it, his own religion. And he has all that you need for a religion. He has a communion cup and table. He has a synagogue, Revelation tells us about. He has all the things that make a religion. And he does that. He is the one behind it. He has a doctrine, we're told in 2 Timothy. He has his own doctrine. All of this. He has everything. He seems to operate best in that kind of environment. So I'm telling you so you can be aware. You can be forewarned. That's who he is. But I want you also to look at his power on your outline number three. His power. Now Satan has a lot of power. It's unbelievable the amount of power that he has. I'm not trying to scare you. I want to tell you what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to frighten you. I want you to know that we've taken this enemy so lightly that we do not believe that he even exists, let alone that he can do damage to us. But I want you to see his power and what it's all about. We seem to misunderstand where he works and how he works and that he has the power that he has, subject only to God. He's not subject to any other being in all the universe, only subject to God. He has the power to destroy. That's the kind of power that he has. Pretty powerful. He's the second most powerful being in the world. Ephesians 6 verse 12. Listen to what it says. For we do not wrestle. 
Notice it didn't say we do not box. It didn't say we do not play football with. He says that we do not wrestle. Do you know that wrestling is the most contact sport in all the world? It takes more energy than anything you and I could ever imagine unless you've been a wrestler. And when he tells us we are to wrestle, we wrestle against the enemy, God's trying to explain to us that everything we have to pour into it and to protect ourselves, he gives us that image of one wrestler after another ex- extremely trying to push him over, trying to pin him to the mat, trying to get the advantage on the one against you, and it takes everything you got. God is saying, this is your enemy. This is the enemy that I want you to know about so that he will take no advantage of you. He is that enemy. Let me tell you about his army that he has. Notice again, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual uh, hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. He's organized. You may not know what that means. That's not just a bunch of words to explain to you. They mean something. Principalities is the head officers, the first officers. That's what principalities, powers, have to do with staff officers. They're a different rank. Rulers are the divisional commanders. He's organized. And the others that he's talking about, spiritual hosts, Those are the rank and file. He has them organized in an army. Each one knows what they're supposed to do. And each one will come against you and he'll come against me because he hates God. You understand that. You need to understand that. And he is powerful. In fact, he holds men captive. That's how powerful that he is by his power. 2 Timothy 2.26 tells us that only we can only be delivered by the shed blood of Jesus Christ and by the power of Christ. He is the power of darkness. He's called the power of the air. Did you know that? You know what that means? You may not have ever thought about this, but you have read in God's Word, and you know from God's Word, where when someone leaves this body in physical death, that, the, that God's angelic beings accompany them to the presence of God. Friend, that don't happen so that you won't get lonely that they go with you. If you did not have that angelic power, Satan would destroy you because he has the power of the air. He would destroy your spirit. You understand that? No, we don't understand that because we're not even sure he exists. That's the kind of power that he has. He has the power of the air. He has the power of lying wonders. He can make you think black is white and up is down. He has such power to do that, everything to do that. He has the power of lying wonders. He has the power of death, Hebrews 2 tells us. He has the power of the awful red dragon, Revelation 12 tells us. He has the power of a raging lion, a roaring lion. You know lions, when they roar, they they use that noise to frighten off their enemies or their prey. But I want you to know something else about a lion. They tell us that when a lion sets on a certain place, he will defend it to death. What he is saying, all this ground around me belongs to me. And that's what Satan's saying. All this world belongs to me. 
And you're on my territory. Listen, we've forgotten. We're not fighting on a home front. We're on a foreign land. We don't understand that. We seem to have forgotten that. And he tells us that he has strong holds and he has strong men to do what he wants to do. The devil's power. I want you to see the devil's purpose. The devil's purpose. Don't you miss this because I want you to know it. And he does have a purpose. And let me tell you something. Don't you be surprised when you finally figure out Satan's not afraid of you. He's not. He's not a bit afraid of you. He's not a bit afraid of me. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11 tells us, so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, so that Satan cannot have an advantage over us. Listen to this. For we are not ignorant of his schemes or his wiles, your Bible may say. We're not to be ignorant of how he operates and what he's going to do. We're not to do that. You can have two or three attitudes about this. You can have the attitude that you don't care. Or you can have the attitude that you don't want to know about it. Either ignorance or indifference. Or you can feel that about both of them. But that's not going to change the fact at all. Satan can continue to do his diabolical work and his desire to hurt us no matter what. And especially if we believe that. Listen to what the Bible says. The Bible says that Satan desires to blind men who are lost. He blinds them. I have a list of people I pray for that are not saved every morning. And at the top of that list, I have written down, these are blinded by Satan. And I pray for God to remove the blinders so they can see. So he tries to blind the unbeliever. But do you know what the Bible says he tries to do to the, to the believer? It's an old English word. You might remember it when I say he buffets. Now, you don't use that word real often, but I want to tell you what that word means. You know what that word means? That word means to beat about the head and shoulders continually again and again and again. That's what he desires to do to believers. You ever been buffeted by the enemy? That's who he is, and that's what he does. That's his purpose. That's what he's wanting to do. Oh, goodness. We don't understand this enemy at all, it doesn't seem like. If you check real close, you'll find out that his desire is to disturb your mind, to deceive your heart, to defeat your very life if he possibly can. If you study God's word very close, you'll find that Satan was the one that sent Lot down into Sodom. You'll find that Satan was the one that caused Peter to deny Christ. If you look real close, you'll find out that Satan was the one that caused Ananias and Sapphira to lie. Satan was behind all of that. He was behind that, to lie to the Holy Spirit. Friend, he's on every cause, every place, and he didn't back off one iota to attack Christ, to come after Christ. Don't you think for a minute that he's afraid of you? Are afraid of me. He's not. He has a beachhead. And let me tell you about his beachhead. His beachhead in my life and your life 
is through the flesh. And when I say the flesh, I'm talking about the flesh and your mind and all this thing called your body. He has a beachhead there. Do you know that? It's so subject to all that he wants to do. And that's the reason that he can get to us unless we put on the armor. And we'll start doing that next Sunday. But if you don't have on the armor, you cannot stand against him. You cannot do that at all. And there are specific pieces of armor that God has given us that we need to put on. Listen to some of the verbs that describe Satan. You know what verbs are from your old English classes. These are action words. Listen to them. Beguiles, seduces, opposes, resists, deceives, sows tares, hinders, buffets, tempts, persecutes, blasphemes. There's nothing good in that list. That's who he is. That's his power. And that's how he uses it in everything that he does, in every way that he works. That's who he is and how he does that. Goodness. Let me tell you, not only does he try to mimic everything God does, but his last great deception will be he'll have a Christ. Did you know that? He'll have a Christ like we have a Lord Jesus Christ. He'll have an antichrist. Can you imagine how much that will do? What havoc will be wrecked on humanity when that happens? He mimics everything. What a way to suck people in at a time like that. That'll be his last and greatest deception. Remember how he went to Adam and Eve? Did God really say that? That's not what God really meant. You're not going to die. That's how he deceives. He came through a serpent, but today he comes through so many other ways. Goodness, he misquotes Scripture. You ever heard anybody say you can take Scripture and make it say anything you want it to? Well, Satan can. He tries. He works at it real hard. Make you say anything he wants it to, that he wants you to say, and people will listen to it. He makes us believe that he doesn't exist. He misleads people according as to what his nature, his sin nature is all about. That's what he does. That's how he does it. Goodness. Someone said concerning all of this, and it's not from me. I don't know who wrote it, but I like it. Who is it that knocks so loud? A lonely little sin. Slip through, I answered, and soon all hell came in. That's the enemy. That's Satan. That's who he is. That's his purpose. You see his deception there in John 8, 44. God's Word tells us about that. His deception in all that he does and how he works in so many areas. He tries to deceive us in those. Let me share something else with you about this man, Satan, that I want you to see. I want you to see the areas with his division that he works in. In Acts 5, verse 30, God's Word tells us in the areas, 1 John 8, 44, a minute ago, when he lies, he speaks his native tongue or his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. He can lie to us, but also 
He can get at us with his power and the places that he lies to us. First of all, let me tell you how he works his purpose of division. He starts in individual Christians. He starts to divide our minds. You know that there is a strategy in military language that's called divide and conquer. That's exactly what the enemy wants to do, and he does that. He wants us to be divided in ourselves. He wants us to not know that we really have power in the Lord Jesus Christ. His first act was to divide the angels. His first act on earth was to divide a family till a brother killed his brother. That was the first split and the splits that he did. He also caused division in the first church by making Ananias and Sapphira lie. This is what he does. He brings great division in us. And he does that first with individuals as he begins to divide our minds and to get us to destroy our peace. And he has us to our faith to be hammered on until it seems to be destroyed. He wants to do all these things. He also wants to divide families, Christian homes there on your outline. And he does that. He does that in so many ways. He does that in broken marriages. He does that by uh, embarrassment as to what goes on. He does that in so many ways, both nationally and especially in our nation and in our churches But then his purpose of division is in the church. And I want you to listen to it very carefully. His desire is to work in the church. His desire is to work in this church as it is in every church with the individual members, with the church itself, and with everything the church is trying to do. He does this through suspicion, He does it through intolerance. He does it through dislike. He does it through jealousy. He does it through division. He wants to destroy the church. I want you to know that. And he works at it very hard. His name is Apollyon, the destroyer, the destroyer of all of this. And let me tell you how he does this, how he does this destroying. He injects poison into members in the church. He injects it as anger. He injects it as uh, intolerance. He injects it towards each other. And he injects that into an individual. And then that poison, when it's done its work in the individual, the Bible lists a place that's full of poison James talks about the tongue being full of poison. And I want you to know when it reaches the point of saturation, it begins to spill out in the tongue. Now, if I'm hitting you right up the side of the head, praise God. That's where I'm aiming. But let me say something to you. This division in the church... This intolerance 
This gossiping is straight out of hell. Do you understand that? I don't know if you know that or not. It becomes so easy for us to gossip and so easy for us to be intolerant and so easy for us to talk about them, someone, to bring division in the church, but it's straight out of hell. Goodness that we would know that. He finally wears us down with all of that. And he lay, and then he destroys. Second Thessalonians 2 verse 8 tells us about that destruction and how he does that in our life. And then also in Ephesians 6.10, I go back to that. He says, my brethren, speaking to all of us who are in this fight, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We can only stand strong when we stand in the Lord, when he put on his armor. Let me tell you about that armor. It's to be put on personally. Nobody can put it on for you. It is to be put on primarily. You put it on first. It is to be put on permanent or paramount above anything else, and it's to be put on perpetually. You have to put it on every day. You ever been hit by one of those fiery darts of the enemy? Have you ever been hit by those? He brings all kinds of destruction when he comes after us in those ways. Goodness, I want you to see that, and I want you to know that. I'm running out of time, and I'm going to just sort of whack this off. But I want you to know, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand and in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. When is the evil day? It could be as soon as you walk out the door. It could already be now. That's the evil day. That's what God's Word is telling us. We cannot fight on our own power. But what I want to also tell you this morning is that you can't fight at all if you do not know Christ. And when I bring this division and this power and all that that Satan has access to, I want you to really understand that you have no power against him other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you do not belong to him, you have no, no access to the armor that is necessary to keep him from taking your life, Satan from taking your life. But this morning, I want you to know, if you're here and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to understand that today is not an accident. By the providence of God, you've been brought to this place so that you might know you have an enemy and you've been playing into his hands and living for him. And God is saying, I've come to give you real life and I've come to give you protection and I've come to give you an eternal home. Would you refuse that? Would you this morning be willing to say, Yes, Lord, I realize I'm a sinner. I've never received you. And I sense inside of me that you want to work in my life. And I invite you to deal with me. Would you come before him confessing that you are a sinner? And would you come acknowledging that you have refused him to be Lord of your life? And by faith you ask for forgiveness 
and you receive Him, you take Him as the Lord of your life, and you turn from sin when you receive Him, would you be willing to do that this morning? I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to be having our invitation in a moment. And I'm going to ask you this morning, would you just be willing to say yes to the Lord Jesus Christ? As a child of God this morning,